So the, the cards are dealt now to those players who will lead the emerging of a new industrial sector on this planet. Is it possible to make food out of thin air? Yes, it is. And today you'll hear from a company making this magic happen called Solar Foods. Their protein, Solene, is created by feeding microbes CO2 and hydrogen. This creates a mostly taste-neutral powder that can be used to replace animal protein and stronger-tasting plant protein pretty much anywhere. For example, for baking and plant-based products. It can also be used for cultured meat to provide the protein for cells to grow. The most awesome thing is Solene's tiny carbon footprint. It's about five times smaller than the footprint of plant protein and 100 times smaller than the one of animal protein. Additionally, it provides protein without further deforestation, without pesticides, without fertilizers required. It's clean and can be created anywhere, anytime. You will hear from Solar Foods co-founder and CEO Pazi Vainika. He is also the co-founder of Solterre Power Technology, which turns buildings into carbon sinks. And he also holds a Doctor of Science in Chemical Engineering. This interview is sparking some sci-fi future visions in my head, and I hope it will inspire you too to completely rethink what is possible in our food system. You're listening to Season 1 of Red to Green on Cellular Agriculture. Animal products without animals, like cheese without cows and poultry without chicken. This is Episode 8. Check out our earlier ones to get an introduction to the topic, and don't forget to subscribe and share it with anyone who is into food and sustainability. Thanks. Let's jump right in. Welcome to the Red to Green podcast on food innovations that are better for the planet and better for you. And I'm your host, Marina Schmidt. Pasi, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. So let's look at the problems and the possibilities. At Red to Green, the red describes the issues we have or the risk factors, the harmful parts of the food industry. And we want to move to a green state that's healthy, that's whole, that's sustainable. So looking at the red part, what problems are currently yeah, there that Solar Foods is addressing? Food sector is uh, it's an amazing sector because it has so many problems. <laughs> I don't know yeah. <laughs> any other sector that would be so multiple in problems. 70% of the fresh water withdrawals are used for irrigation. And without that, basically, we wouldn't have even the food what we have today. Then if we go to the seas, we know from the historical data that the global peak wild fish catch or wild marine catch was 20 years ago. Since then, we have invented a thing called aquaculture. So about 50% of the marine catch, well, the, what you find in the supermarkets, is it's, it's not natural, but it's due to aquaculture. Mm -hmm. And then aquaculture, we feed with something, typically something that is grown on land. So we turn the problem back to the land. Then there's the problem of use of, of fertilizers on open land that turn to laughing gas and, and warm the climate. And then about 50% of the arable land on the planet is already used by 
agriculture. We need to produce more food for the increasing population and increasing with increasing standard of living, which usually means increasing use of animal-based protein. We can do it based on what we have now. So there are problems. Wherever you go, there is a problem. 70% of the birds on the planet are chicken. <laughs> think about it. So mm -hmm. I, I think we've somehow reached the limits of system that can be rationally justified. There are obvious solutions like the one, what we are doing. And after we use and scale them, it will be quite obvious for the people. Why didn't we go for this earlier? But it's mm -hmm. uh, we need a fundamentally more efficient food system, and, and we believe we can be part of that that story. Yeah. So the core problem is that we are using agriculture to create protein, for example, for aquaculture, but then likely also for animal feed, which is very taxing to our environment, right? Due to the fertilizer that we are using in Germany. We are importing soy, the majority of our soy from South America. Mm -hmm. It's incredible all the way that it has to go for us to feed it here to the animals. And then all the nitrous oxide, the nitrogen fertilizer stays in Germany. And it's a huge biodiversity issue. Has Solar Foods for you a focus on replacing animal feed or more on the food aspect, putting it directly into the food. Solar Foods aims at food applications. So, and that has to do with the capability to pay. Yeah. The, uh, the price of protein in food market is about 10 times to that of in the feed market. So that's a natural mm -hmm. way to go for food instead of feed. We can go to feed, but it's a bit tight space. You will be faced with the South American soy that you, you refer to. That's yeah. a source of protein that many countries use as a feed. We also import that as a protein source for, for animals in Finland. But I would say the, the main problem in the food system has to do with, with the concept of animal because it adds inefficiency to the system. And that that protein nutritional value solar force is here to replace. So tell us a little bit about Solene, the protein that you're doing, and what is the solution and uh, what are the benefits? Solene is produced uh, with a technology called gas fermentation. It's um, similar to winemaking. We also have a fermenter. In winemaking, you introduce sugars liquid in a fermenter that yeast eats to make alcohol to a surrounding mm -hmm. liquid. We also have a fermenter where we have our our own microbe, which is kind of our, our magic, what it is. Mm -hmm. And instead of sugar, this microbe eats carbon dioxide and hydrogen. Carbon dioxide we capture from the air and feed it in the fermenter for the organism mm -hmm. to eat. And uh, hydrogen we make by splitting water with electricity. So we charge the energy in electricity to chemical form of hydrogen instead of sunlight. The organism uses that for energy. And then it just grows. We are just applying the diversity of life on this planet in our process. So it's nothing more complicated than that. 
we mm-hmm. uh, run this process continuously. When the liquid grows thicker in the fermenter, we start to remove the liquid and dry it, and you end up with a with a powder that is about 65% protein. So basically, that's the whole cell of this mm-hmm. organ. It's really amazing what the cell as a factory can do. But then again, it's just another form of life, what we have naturally here on on the planet. Uh, it is single cell. It's very small, not multicellular like plants or, or animals. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is also fundamentally very efficient because if you grow, uh, let's say, a cow, there's a you know metabolism in the cow, of course, to stay alive. And then when the animal grows, you know, it has parts that are not really needed and needs to you know, run around and do all those things. So this is inherently very inefficient. So what we do, we directly grow only that part, what we eat. So no waste then. Mm-hmm. And I've read that in the fermenter, you're also adding a solution that contains a small amount of mineral salts. Yes. Can you describe what What is actually the definition of a fermenter? When can you call something a fermenter or a fermentation tank? Yeah, tank. You can you can make a wine or beer at home even. So basically, it's just a tank. <laughs> And you can also go call it the bioreactor, which sounds even more complicated. But it's a tank. There can be some stirring or mixing and things like that, and arrangement for the flows and stuff like that. But basically, it's a brewery. And in our case, our, our organism then uses the gases to grow. So that kind of fermenting and uh, oxidizing hydrogen there for, for energy. So that's how it runs. Have you found that organism naturally or did you have to modify it in any way? It's a naturally occurring organism, which is very important and uh, really a cornerstone for what we do. Because it, if it would be modified organism, it would be rather difficult to have it approved for human consumption, especially in the European mm-hmm. Union. So what are the benefits of having this source of protein compared to getting the protein, um, let's say, in a veggie burger from other sources? Veggie burger is fine. What we are doing is, if you can imagine before your eyes a a food flow diagram. So on the left, there's primary production. So there are flows of primary foods from the agriculture. So there's even a forage land where the animals herd and and eat eat the grass. Basically, then then different kinds of crops are grown, vegetables, uh, fruits, and so on. And these are what we primarily get from the fields. Then they are processed in different steps to food products. Some part of the food is fed for animals, which turn into to animal proteins and milk. And, and then when we go from a left, from primary production towards right, where the food flow continues through different kind of processing, and that is then what we consume. Now, if we think of a plant-based burger and a plant-based meat alternative, so it, it is still it's there within the food system and it's a lot better than the animal-based product because of significantly lower environmental impact. Yet it is a product and for example plant-based meat alternatives are a way to process existing ingredients, plant-based materials to form a texture 
that resembles meat and may, maybe tastes like, like meat. So it happens within this food system. How we differentiate is we produce a new primary ingredient as a gift to the humankind. It's a new harvest mm -hmm. that appears, arrives into the picture and, and dives in, swims, mingles into the different kinds of consumer products as, as a nutritious ingredient. Interesting. So this sort of protein, it would probably be free of any pesticides. It wouldn't require fertilizers and you could create it relatively decentralized. Yeah, that's basically in the core of the concept. We don't need the concept of agriculture or animal keeping. Everything starts today in what has to do with food production from, from these fundaments. So you need a piece of hectare of land, arable land, where the sunlight can be captured and turns to anything from potato to grass or apple. But we skip that as a whole. And then uh, you don't need the concept of irrigation either or open land application of fertilizers. We can also go to areas where nothing grows. You could go to produce food in the desert with solar yep. PV electricity and let the forest grow back. If we would replace animal-based proteins, it's a carbon negative technology. And that's what we offered for the society and could be, could be our gift, gift to, mm -hmm. to our children. How much smaller is the carbon footprint? Based on plant-based uh, material, it's about one-tenth. And uh, compared to, to animal-based, it's maybe about 1% or so in the, the mm -hmm. order of magnitude. And this has to do basically with, uh, with the disconnection of, of agriculture. Could you store the soline mm, longer? So it's similar to soy and algae, at least that's what I read. And could you store it longer than other proteins? We're looking at that. There's a re reason to believe so, but we don't have any evidence yet. Mm -hmm. And you were saying that it's 65% protein. Yes. And what is the rest made of? Carbs, fats. What kind of carbs and fats? The fats are similar to palm oil and, uh, and olive oil. And the carbs is something what we are looking at, how the final product will be if we introduce an isolate or concentrate to the market and what, what is actually the final composition of, uh, of the material. So that means you would extract the protein and sell primarily that? Yes. How does it taste? It is neutral in taste. It's actually quite surprising that there's a bit of umami, umami flavor. Oh. Uh, but it's very neutral and uh, needs definitely less masking than, than some of the plant-based proteins that can be actually quite horrible. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, and we've made uh, a lot of different kinds of food products from the ingredient and uh, seems to have a diverse use. You're targeting B2B. So what are your target customers? Where do you want to establish yourself first? And where do you see this being applied in the future? 
There are three segments. One is uh, the, the protein ingredient market of, of today. So basically they are used in even backed soups and, and different kinds of food materials in uh, ready meals and sauces and stuff, bringing some nutritional value, but also functionality. So it's kind of the existing foods. Then there are emerging foods that are scaling at the moment, which are different kinds of plant-based meat and dairy alternatives. So there you need protein ingredients and there might be something you want for functionality reasons so that it has a texture that resembles milk or meat or yogurt and then uh, you need to have the uh, nutritional value nutritionally be something close to meat so that is what we definitely can bring on the table so plant-based meat and dairy as a category categories that we see in, in increasing these days and the third one more in the future is cultured meat if we would really live in a world where, where we don't produce feed for animals there is no animal keeping but we would replace that industrial sector by producing meat in the lab then you would need to produce a lot of feed for those cells and that's an interesting option for the future to to provide part of the media that the mama cells could then eat and <laughs> then basically the the primary ingredient what we made from electricity then arrives on a plate in edible calories in the form of, of real meat how that real meat arrived on the table was completely changed but the consumer wouldn't yeah. know the difference for people who are not familiar with cellular agriculture and who haven't yet listened to the beginnings of the season, can you briefly describe the process and where exactly Soline would come in? The different process steps and description of the different process steps, I leave to a better experts than myself. But our part to play is in how these cells are produced. You need growth factors and you need to have a media where the cells can grow. And our part to play is basically provide the uh, protein part or, or amino acids for the cells. So they could take them up and uh, use for growth. Are you already talking to companies in this space? Yes, we, yes, we do. We have a very concrete development there. Nice. Let's actually compare what you are doing uh, to, for example, legendary Maybe you know them, we've had them on the show. They produce milk proteins without cows. They use modified yeast mm -hmm. and they create milk proteins, which then can be processed into cheese. In general, how would you differentiate what you're doing apart from obviously they use modified yeast? So I assume they use a uh, sugar-based fermentation where the organism produces specific proteins which are identical to the molecules what you find in, in the milk. And then it has also a good functionality. So if you would really make a cheese, it's again another amazing example what there is happening in the food tech. And personally, I'm, I'm happy about the cheese development because that letting cheese go is, is difficult for me. The difference is that we, we grow organism that is then whole food as such. And uh, mm -hmm. it's naturally curing complete protein with all the essential amino acids. And then the recombinants 
and that modified organisms can be used for producing something very specific and precise with a very high functionality and very high value and which is uh, which is uh, a great development what we what we see there but in the details there are and also in the end product of course significant differences yeah because legendary compared to that they don't actually put the yeast in the end product which is where it's actually the non-gmo but yeah, these yeaste right. are just used to pr- produce the caseins, the milk proteins. Yeah, interesting, these subtle differences. Yeah. What would you say somebody that has a critique, Soline is processed food, highly processed food? Uh, it's the most natural food uh, you've ever had when it <laughs> arrives on the, on the shelf. So what would be more, more natural how we grow it and harvest it might be might be non-traditional but otherwise the organism what we use was here before we were on the planet so it's more more natural than than what we are or anything else what we eat today do you have a patent on using that organism in that sense yes it's it's a pending but still it's there coming up nice what is a common misconception about soline, something that people, when they hear it, oftentimes get wrong? Typically, uh, what we hear is that it sounds so amazing and strange that can you again explain how it works and how, how is it really produced? So it's kind of an amazement what, what you receive rather than there will be misconceptions. When people hear about it or have read about it, it's so so different to what what there is now so that there there can't be really misconceptions because there it's to start with a bit difficult to understand how it how it happens hmm. but then again, the technology as such is is very simple so it's also many times surprising that okay it's actually quite simple what do you do Pazi, you are right now fundraising a good amount of money. Where do you see solar foods going? What's your plan for the next years? We we go to market on 2022. We've previously said 21, but I think we're we're going to lose that year. But it's rather 22. Uh, we need to build a small factory, which we call a demonstrator. That's why we are raising the funds now to realize that and establish basically a new industrial sector and kind of the first steps of it and then after that it's about scaling and our business model is based on b2b so we are here to master what we know which is basically turning air and electricity to edible calories and therefore the consumers in the futures to come might see our our ingredients so lean to appear in diverse products what you're doing is carbon capture utilization and not carbon capture storage. Can you describe the difference between these two? This is a very sophisticated question and I can see being involved in some development activity with the European Commission that even the experts don't really 
understand the difference, unfortunately, and uh, mm. it might be actually due due to the lobbying of the fossil industry. But this is a very crucial point to understand the fundament, which is basically that if you ever go to a process of mining of coal, gas, oil from underground, which is basically a carbonaceous product with in the energy in the chemical bonds, if you ever die, take that to above ground, you better put that back. And you have to do yep. that if you want to maintain carbon neutral operations. And even if you would first emit CO2 and then capture and put back, actually there is already a climate impact. But all that carbon that is mined needs to be put back. The idea of, of a carbon capture and utilization is an enable the society, humankind, to get released from the use of fossil fuels. And that happens by establishing the carbon cycle above ground. That is in the very heart of uh, carbon capture and utilization. So rather, not to go to underground and then, then emit the CO2 and whether you put back, but you forget all of that and capture CO2 from the air, utilize it for whatever reason, whether it's a building block, because carbon is, is a very clever atom, and, and we need it, of course, in, in many places. And, and then if it's emitted as a CO2 at the end, it doesn't really matter because you captured it from the air to begin with. There is a very dangerous term that I uh, want to also mention here, which is CCUS. It's, it's a horrible thing where these two concepts are tried to be mixed. And the result is you continue mining and then you mm -hmm. donate that emission to someone else who is willing to use the CO2. But of course, you never got rid of the CO2 and never put back what you originally mined from underground. And that's uh, that's the CCUS as a term is a fundamental flaw in the, in policy. But you see it all over in, in so policy documents. Is that carbon capture utilization storage? Yes. <laughs> so these two children are are forced to hold hand, and it's a horrible scenario. So let's say a fossil fuel company emits CO two. And then they would sell the emissions to another company, which is utilizing them sort of yes. above ground. But because it's just utilization and not actual storage, this isn't really putting the carbon back into the ground. Is that the concept? True. So it never, never goes back. You can also then say that, okay, it's still better than nothing if this product that you made from fossil CO2 replaces some other fossil product that will not be then mined. So it's better than nothing. But one has to remember that we, we are not aiming at an energy system that is, remains or, or in its heart uh, the process of coal, gas, oil mining. And 50% and renewable is not renewable enough, <laughs> but we need yeah. actually carbon neutral planet, society, and even actually carbon negative if we want to comply with the Paris Climate Accord. So 50% better is not good enough. So you're using carbon capture utilization because when people are eating the protein, 
they are breathing it out again. Have you seen good examples of carbon capture storage in the food industry? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I, I agree. The, on, the only thing that comes to mind for me is carbon farming. So the process of regenerative agriculture where the way you do agriculture actually stores the carbon in the soil and letting the plants actually transmit the carbon into the soil. In the case that happens in uh, initiating new land that is car not carbonaceous and arable to start with, so basically a forestation of desert, then I, I agree. But in most cases, the land that where this is practiced has originally been forest. So it depends mm. what's the reference point. So it's, yeah. it's better than nothing, I guess. Uh, it is very unclear to me what is, the, what is the potential of this. So compared to letting a forest grow back and have a carbon stock there, what is actually the, the potential? So on Project Drawdown, they have estimated the potential impact and regenerative annual cropping is supposed to be able to save uh, 15 to 22 gigatons of CO2 equivalent between 2020 and 2050, if actually done. That's always the question, right? Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking, what's the reference point? It's, it's better than nothing, but uh, is it good, good enough that, that I'm, I'm, I'm concerned? Improvements can be done everywhere. So then there's a big stream of small actions here and there, and, and then they actually will have a together a significant impact. So uh, therefore, it's, it's, it's a positive. Coming to one of the last questions, if you would have 50 million, in what businesses would you invest it in if you can't invest it in solar foods or something that you're working on right now? I would invest on food tech space. It is very interesting because it's in the same stage now in its development as the ICT sector was in the, in the late 80s. So the, the cards are dealt now to those players who will lead the emerging of a new industrial sector on this planet. Regarding the area of food and sustainability, what are you particularly excited about? I'm excited that there are so many opportunities and, and many things have become possible with new technologies. And I, I'm not a, a, a pessimist, I'm not an optimist, but rather a possibilist that new technologies <laughs> make new things very quickly possible. And then there's a new window of opportunity. And I, I can see that if you think, for example, that we've historically done the process of agriculture, just trying to get the yield up per hectare. And now thinking of what we do, that suddenly there is a new harvest with a solution, an organism that is natural, empowered by technology. You bypass the whole thing and it, it's, it's suddenly there. And these opportunities can, can really save the planet and I'm happy to see that also venture capital is flowing in food tech uh, and we really have a chance to to save the planet and that makes me makes me happy too and, and hopeful. Imagine you will have a time machine and in one particularly tricky instance of growing solar foods you could go back and give past Pazi a piece of advice. 
to what time would you travel and what advice would you give Paz Pazi? We've gone through so many intersections and it's absolute need to do one stage at the time, not to be overwhelmed by, by the challenge. So it's very good that you don't exactly know what's coming up mm-hmm. and you just live through and learn on the way because one thing leads to another. So it, it's we're very lucky that we have gone, gone through all those things and learned on the way and ended up here. So maybe I would just go to, to any point at time and encourage, just believe on what you're doing and keep up the good work and, and you know, wake up next next morning and do the next bit. Maybe one kind of a learning on the way would be that in research, researchers speculate for a living. There is no aim to get into conclusion. Conclusion in research is horrible because then you're out of job. But in entrepreneurship, you need to come into a conclusion almost every mm-hmm. day or, or weekly and continue and speculate less and, and do more. Yeah. Lovely. How can listeners support you? Or is there anything that you want to share? We like to, to people to go to our website and sign up for our newsletter. Uh, and you'll uh, then be kept up to date. You will find the link to the website and a link to Pazi's LinkedIn and further information in the show notes. Thanks for being on Red to Green. Thank you for having me. In the next episode, you will hear from Eva Sommer and David Brandes from Piece of Meat. We will talk about creating foie gras, the duck liver, without any ducks involved, and also about the first ever cultured commercial meat in Europe. If you would like to get in touch with me or find out more about the show, check out the show notes. There's a link to my LinkedIn profile and also to our website www.red2green.solutions as one word and without any numbers involved. Red2green.solutions. Until next time, let's move the food industry from harmful to healthy, from polluting to sustainable, from red to green.